Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast, part of the Callaway Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jeff Newbarth. Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast. We are live, a little bit later than we normally do this, but there's been a huge celebration happening all over golf Twitter today, and we wanted to be a part of it. So Jeff Newbarth here in the Callaway offices, actually. It's kind of, it's a fake brick wall behind me. Joined by Tim and Tina Mickelson, the brother and sister of the birthday boy, 50-year-old Phil Mickelson. Tina, I'll start with you. How crazy is this? Phil's 50. It's crazy how fast time flies. Yeah, you know, it, um, yeah, it's crazy that he's 50. I don't feel, I don't look at him like he's 50. It doesn't feel like he's 50. Um, he doesn't act like he's 50. And um, I just hope he's having the best day ever. And Tim, you spend a lot of time uh, with him on the golf course. You, of course, caddy for him right now. Tell us something about Phil um, that's kind of been a moment where you said, yeah, maybe he is getting champion store eligible. <laughs> there really hasn't been, to be honest. Uh, I mean, first things, Jeff, I can fully attest that he does not act his age. I mean, he is, he is 24, 25, and I think that's part of the reason why he loves playing practice rounds with the younger guys, even like U.S. Amateur Champions like we did last week and, and Andy Oglethorpe. Uh, but honestly, I, I really haven't seen anything from him that indicates he's ready to go to the, the Champions Tour. He's obviously hitting the ball further than he ever has. We've struggled on the course, which if anybody would want to nitpick, then certainly they could say, yeah, he's missed three or four cuts in a row, so maybe it's time. But it's not time. He knows he can play out here. He knows it's just a matter of when, once everything is put together. So for those that are waiting for him on the Champions Tour, I think they've got five to six years to wait. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's... I think there's a big difference between being Champions Tour eligible and being Champions Tour ready. All right, main point of this is we are going to take your questions and get them answered uh, by Tim and by Tina uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Ask us your questions, and Jen, Josh, and Matt are in the background. They'll be feeding them to me, and we'll be asking you guys. So the big thing that Callaway did today, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, a virtual birthday card for Phil. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you go to Callaway Golf's um, social channels, Instagram has a great post of it. You can leave your birthday message with pictures and stuff. I don't know if you guys have got a chance to look through it. It's amazing. I mean, it's at least seven, 800 posts deep. Uh, the, the guys told me that the analytics are happening so quick. There's so many people on it at any given time. They can't give us numbers yet, um, but it's blowing anything away that we've seen. But uh, it's so cool to see everybody leave these, these heartfelt messages and these pictures. Like Tim, there's a couple from Pebble uh, last year. These people are like, hey, here's a picture I took with, with you last year. Thank you so much. And it's just like, you see that every week that he, he truly is, you know, uh, there's only one Arnold Palmer uh, yeah. and there's only one Phil Mickelson. But, but Phil is, is following in the footsteps of Arnold in terms of being the people's champion. Don't you agree? Absolutely. And, and that's actually who Phil sort of modeled his, his, I don't want to say charisma, but his attitude towards the fans. He saw how Palmer interacted with everybody. And I remember something that, that stuck in Phil's mind. Uh, I'll, I'll butcher exactly how it came across, but Phil had said, you know, Arnold Palmer would look at somebody and acknowledge them for five seconds, even, or two seconds. And Arnold had looked to Phil and said, those, those few seconds may not mean a lot to me, but it means so much to that person to be acknowledged. And it's those sorts of things. And obviously with how he, he signs uh, so many autographs, 
for the fans and takes pictures. Um, so yeah, he, he's definitely a people's champion. And I, I'd like to say I'm surprised at how many people have commented, but I'm not because I think, you know, a lot of people are sharing in, in his day. And uh, again, we're, we're excited to get back out there next week and see if we can't get that first W after turning 50. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys will be at Hartford next week. Yeah, Jen and Josh, if you guys can, let's put the link to that in, uh, in the chat right now so anyone wants to leave their message. Tina, I loved what you did as a, uh, I don't want to say tribute because that's not the right word, but as, as a, uh, to, to note the occasion of, of Phil's 50th uh, birthday, you, you wrote a great article, which, which Callaway tweeted out today, so you can see that. Why don't you tell people about it? Well, thanks, Jeff. I do write for Four Magazine here in Southern California, and one of the things we wanted to do to acknowledge his birthday was talk about what made him who he is today, focusing mainly on his formative years, the early years, and it was really fun to do. I wasn't expecting to get so reminiscent and nostalgic as I was writing these stories and looking through all the older pictures and photos and it was a lot of fun it brought back a lot of memories and it just I wanted to make sure that he knew what a huge impact he had on my childhood it was a great childhood I'm very lucky to say we had a great childhood and he had a lot to do with that. And um, I'm just lucky to be his sister, whether he plays on tour or works in an office or is a teacher. It doesn't matter what he does for a living. I am very lucky to have him as a brother and Tim too, but it's not his birthday. So um, I'm very lucky to have both brothers in my life. Well, the good news is Tim, on your birthday, we'll have Phil and Tina on and we'll do this whole thing for you again. So that'll be exciting. What, seriously? Maybe. I don't know. We'll Maybe see. when I'm 50. Maybe when you're 50, which is yeah. a long way away. I, give me seven years to be nice to them so they only say nice things. Got like, it. Got it. All right. say nice things, but, you know, give me some time. Yeah. So uh, before we get to everyone else's questions, uh, I just wanted to ask each of you if there's one particular moment or one particular um, sort of fan interaction that you can recall, because I think that's ultimately uh, Phil's greatest victory is just how he interacts with the fans. I have one that 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 kind of surprised me uh, from a while ago, but I'll let you guys go first. So Tim, is there something uh, that you can recall? I mean, it was weird not having fans this week for him to give thumbs up to or reactions. Is there a particular story that pops out in your mind when you think of Phil uh, dealing with, with some of the fans? Uh, truthfully, Jeff, nothing particularly stands out because he does so many things on a weekly basis. Um, so there's nothing in particular that stands out. I mean, the, the amount of time that he gives every week to me is mind boggling how he, he always dedicates 30 to 40 minutes, you know, uh, to interact with the fans after the round, whether it's obviously pictures or signing autographs, there, there hasn't been one in particular thing that. Uh, I mean, All right. And Tina kind of same thing. Is there something, uh, you know, that you can recall from seeing at a tournament or seeing from, from watching on TV from a distance? In general, overall, he genuinely cares about the fans as people, as individuals. So every interaction I see, I'm always really excited and proud to see how much he, he really cares. He's not just out there going through the motions and shaking hands because he feels like he has to. He really wants to impact others in a positive way. He feels like he's so lucky to be in the position that he is, that he is and he appreciates it. And if he is in a, or on a platform that he can in, inadvertently make others happy, even if for a second or two, 
he's genuinely happy to do it. So my favorite moment was from early, earlier this year at the Players. Uh, we did a shoot with Phil on Tuesday morning. And we have someone on our team, one of our, our kind of editors, camera operators, Daniel, uh, Daniel Burns. We call him Jumpman. And the reason we call him Jumpman is he did an entire year of doing jump photos, but that was before like iPhones and burst mode. So he literally would set up a camera and he lived in Colorado. And it's, it's literally one of the reasons we hired him because he put it on the bottom of his resume and I spent like a day and a half just going through all the jump photos. It like blew me away on top of being a great golf editor. So we were at the player shoot and when we finished, um, one of the things we do at the end of the shoots is we have Daniel do pictures with the players and he kind of takes a picture, then he eventually jumps and they have no idea what's coming. Uh, so like Xander, I'm pretty sure Daniel cleared Xander and Kisner. He got his head up by or his foot by Kisner's head. So he gets uh, some pretty good hops. So after your brother saw that and just totally, of course, got into it, he had had Daniel recreate uh, his famous uh, jump from from winning the Masters. Um, so Daniel does the jump. And Josh, if we can put that photo in, in the chat, it's hysterical. And then literally, Phil, and this is where he just doesn't miss anything. Daniel, I mean, clearly got maybe a little more air than Phil did. And Phil looks at him and goes, yeah, you almost got as high as I did back then. Uh, it was just absolutely amazing. And it just, it just made the whole team's uh, day. And it's just another example of Phil just kind of being sort of with everybody else and, and making everyone feel great. And Daniel, I know that uh, that picture meant a ton to him just being able to take it and to recreate the, the moment, holding the putter and everything. All right, let's get right to these questions because there's lots of them coming. I'll start with you, Tina. Laura Guthrie, Lori Guthrie wants to know, was Phil funny guy growing up? Absolutely. It was not just practical jokes, but it was the very quick wit where, and as a youngster, you don't expect that coming from a seven-year-old, eight-year-old. And so a lot of times it would, it would be taken in the wrong way if you didn't really know <laughs> him. And that really hasn't changed all that much. Now that he's older, I know a lot of his jokes have um, not been taken as jokes. And so that's, we're working on that. that. That's one thing we're working on. But yes, as a very young age, he was really funny. It's got to be fun to have Uncle Phil, though, like around your kids and stuff, because I'm sure he's teaching them nothing but uh, exactly what you would want him to. You know, my kids look up to him a lot, mainly because he's so big. They, they just think that he is this big teddy bear full of fun. And with, um, you know, with COVID, I know it's been really difficult with a lot of people. The one, one of the good things to come from it is we get to see him more. And to see the relationship between my kids and Uncle Phil solidify and, and get stronger is, is wonderful. It was very strong before, but... We just didn't get to see him as much because he was always gone. So he teaches them things that an uncle should, not necessarily parents. Nice. That makes sense. All right. This one's from uh, Maddie, FR25. Tim, uh, are Lefty Shades here to stay? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say we'll give it one more week, and if we don't, don't play well, maybe we need to change up the juju. Yeah, I like them. I think they should be here to stay. I was excited for them to kind of get a lot of play at the match. Um, but obviously, unfortunately, um, you know, the weather kind of, uh, it would have been weird if you wore shades at, at that point because we yeah, were like absolutely. Dodging, uh, dodging hellacious seeds that were coming from the sky, as one would say. All right, uh, next one, Tim, for you from Jack Poppy. How does Phil hit his flop shots? Does he work on them a lot? Do you, do you guys practice them a lot? Or is that just God-given ability? Honestly, it's it, it's a mixture of God-given ability and a ton of hard work when he was growing up. 
Uh, I actually, we've hit very, very little flop shots at practice. Uh, he basically will just, you know, if there's a particular place that calls for it, maybe on a course, he may hit one or two, but in general, it's just God-given ability. Uh, I mean, his wizardry around the, the greens is so good, especially since we haven't practiced it probably as much, let's say, this year as we have in the last couple of years before that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to watch him. When, when you see him do it in person, it's, it's completely, completely different. All right, Tina, Eric W29 wants to know, what other sports did Phil play growing up, or was it all golf all the time? No, he was really good at baseball and football. So he was pitcher for his little league team and he did quite well. He made the all-star team. Our dad was the coach and it was, it was really fun to go watch those games. We have a picture of him with two black eyes as a result of getting hit by a batter and then practice the next day, a grounder popping up and giving him two pretty good shiners. Um, he was also the quarterback for his school's football team. And so he was a really good, well-rounded athlete, a lot of really good hand-eye coordination. Tim, do you think he still thinks he could be a quarterback or a baseball player at this point? Have you seen him throw the football? I mean, he, he's I have big, seen him throw yeah. the football, yeah. I mean, I think his career, he's got a better chance of a career in football than he does baseball. But yeah, baseball's I mean, tough. He's got a cannon. I mean, he's got a great arm. It's the one thing I can't really dispute as to whether or not he's better than me at because he's got a gun. And there's a funny story where at the when I was coaching at ASU, uh, we were having a fundraiser and, and Phil was there. And I don't know who brought the football, but they were throwing the football back and forth between the ninth and 18th tee, which are right next to each other. And a former college football player, I think he was a tight end, told Phil to go ahead and whistle one at him. Phil's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. So Phil whistles one right at him. I mean, they're probably 30 feet apart. And the guy sort of flinches like it hurt a little bit. Didn't react much more after that. But about two weeks later, all of a sudden, they're circling a picture amongst friends that gets sent to me of this guy's hand, which has about six pins and a couple screws because he had broken. He'd shattered a oh couple bones in his thumb, uh, all because of how fast Phil's, Phil's throw was at him. And it was right-handed, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I, yeah, yeah, so, I do lefty, but yeah, he would be yeah. righty. Yeah, so that's what I think people don't, don't get. And, and Tina, I'll let you answer this one. Is, uh, you know, for a guy who's nicknamed lefty, he kind of does a lot right-handed. Well, he is naturally right-handed in everything he does. And growing up when we were young, our mom would have a specified time that she would start cooking dinner. And it was up to my dad to take us outside and give her the time. And so Phil was still in the car seat. My dad would put him in the little car seat and sit him in front of us while he would hit balls or he would help me hit balls. And so in Phil's mind, it was this mirror image. So when he was old enough to stand and hold a club, in his mind, the golf swing went like this. And as many times as our dad tried to change that, he would flip the club around and insist that he was left-handed or that he would swing left-handed. So our dad decided, you know what, let's just let him go with what's natural because in the, in the end, that's going to help him. And it, at that time, it was really hard to find left-handed clubs. And so um, our dad let him go with it. We, he did the best he could to find the, the best clubs that he could that were left-handed. Now it's obviously not an issue, think, thankfully. But um, yeah, he is right-handed in everything else. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, people, it makes sense. Because if you think about it, if you're trying to mirror someone's ability, you would do it the other direction. But 
Um, it's just one of the great stories. All right, Tim. T. Wilson 54 wants to know, which track coming up this year sets up the best for Phil W? Ah, that's a good question. Obviously, I think Augusta always sets up well. And historically, he's liked Boston as well. And so those would sort of be two that I would be looking towards. I believe he likes Harding Park as well. Had success or mild success at Wingfoot. So I actually like a lot of the majors this year. And um, I know, I, you know, definitely, definitely loves Augusta. To have two opportunities over the course of, let's say, five or six months is something he's very much looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, Augusta makes sense. Wingfoot to me, I, I don't know, Wingfoot in the fall could like, could be really different for everybody. And I think that could give someone like Phil a pretty good advantage there uh, with someone who's played it a bunch and has success up there. You, you know it pretty well too. So, I mean, you, between the two of you going in there, right, it's going to be, you know, I mean, you, obviously you still got to beat everyone else in the, in the tournament, but is there a better storybook ending than 50-year-old, you know, Phil Mickelson winning his first U.S. Open at Wingfoot? I, I can't, I don't think Hollywood couldn't top that very well. I mean, certainly that would be a very, very exciting finish for us. So we got to get back out to what we, what, you know, we do when we are playing well, which is hitting fairways, hitting some nice wedges and, and putting well. And obviously everything we do is hopefully building up so that we can peak during those majors. Yeah. And there's so many majors coming up. All right. Let's go through uh, this equation, Tim. And, and Tina, we were talking about it just before we started coffee times calves equals bombs plus salacious seeds equals intimidation and victory. That was the winning formula Phil said uh, before the match. But Tim, you know, is that the type of discussion you guys have, you know, just prior to the first tee or, or is this kind of more an internal monologue or where, where does this stuff come from? <laughs> it's Phil being Phil. It's Phil being Phil and just thinking of stuff off the cuff. I mean, he was telling me he literally thought of that formula as he was driving into the match that day, you know, and thought it made sense. And so he rolled with it. And the first thing that catches my ear is that there's two different equal signs in that formula, which I don't know if I've seen that before. So he's a smart guy. So he knows more about it than me, but I don't know if two equal signs really equal success. It's advanced math, advanced math. Okay. Well, I only got to, you know, trig, I think so. Yeah, I stopped, I stopped away before that. I, I figured out very quickly what the minimum amount of math I had to do was, and I made sure I did the minimum. And, and that was about it. I'm proud to say that my 14-year-old uh, son is uh, following in my footsteps in that, as little math as possible. So, like father, like son. Tina, when, when you hear equations and stuff like that, um, does that just make you, when you read about it or you see him say it on social media, does it just make you smile or is it just kind of like, uh, you know, what, what, what goes through your mind when, when you hear that type of stuff? Honestly, it's a slow head shake. It really is. It's, and then you read the comments and people love it. So, okay, that, you know, that's great. But it's so Phil and it's so funny. And it's just, it's just the way he is. Does he talk like that at home? Yeah, actually he does. But he's, that's just part of his charm. He's the most humble, modest person you would actually ever want to meet. So that's what makes it so funny. And, and that's what makes it okay, I guess. Um, but yeah, when I first read that, I think, oh my gosh, where is he coming up with this? And then I realize I've been saying that for 50 years. So I should be <laughs> used to it by now. Yeah. And Tina, he, he, I mean, to me, it's unquestionably, he's the MVP of social media since he joined. 
right? I mean, I don't even know who's close, but just the fact that we get this, this look into his mind in these brief moments. And I think what he said, which was great about it, uh, was at one of the shoots we were at, Tim, where he's like, the thing that's so great about it is I can do it when I want because it's just on my phone. And when I don't need to do it, I just put it away and I don't have to do it. It's not like a big undertaking to, to do it. But Tina, don't you think it's great that he's, he's showing this type of personality and this type of side to, to his fans all the time now? I do, and I think it's really interesting because years ago he said social media would be something he never did. He had no interest in it. He never wanted to do it. And so this was a surprise. I remember the day I saw him on Twitter and I thought, oh no, here we go. This could be really good or this could be really bad. So um, it's been really good so far. And I think he's been doing a good job of making sure that he engages with the fans. Um, that's why he does it. Again, he cares about people. He cares about the engagement. And I think it's been going really well. It'll be, yeah. it'll be I, every time I log on, I, I'm really interested to see what he has to say. Yeah, I mean, Tim, for me, it's one of the first accounts I go, I, well, I will go to Tim's account first, that after I go to Tim's account, I'll go to Phil's. To, I need to see what type of workout you're doing because it kind of inspires me a little bit. Jeff, I think one, one uh, side note to, to social media, obviously it's very funny and, and sometimes it gives nice insight, but to some degree it also allows him to have a voice when things are said that are incorrect yeah. or, you know, so it gives him his own platform to respond to certain things in the media. And, and my quick example is I don't remember what tournament last year, but I think it was in the playoffs and there was a member of the press that had written a tweet that said, something like 56 of 57 pros play in the pro-am today, notable missing Phil Mickelson, yep. making him look very poor. Yep. And that person did not know that the night before he spent an hour and a half with sponsors to basically exchange for the pro-am. And so Phil was yep. able to use that to explain that, you know, so it, it helps keep other people accountable for what they say on, on social media as well. Yeah, and I think that's so important. I mean, one of the things we're doing here, and uh, we'll give the shameless plug, we're doing a podcast with Henrik Stenson. It's called an almost an hour podcast with Henrik Stenson because he won't give me a full hour. He, he literally says the phone will cut off at 59 minutes and 59 seconds. But Henrik didn't really want to do, you know, he's not playing till August, but he still wants to have an opinion on the Ryder Cup or an opinion you'll hear in this week's episode that drops Thursday. He talks about whether he would wear a mic or not. Um, and he actually thinks caddies should wear a mic, but then he actually thinks caddies should wear a mic that turns them off when he wants to turn the caddy off, which is kind of an interesting play. Um, but, but by doing a podcast or using social media, you don't have to, you know, you can talk directly to the fans. You don't have to go through a third person who maybe, you know, kind of changes it a little bit, which is, yeah. I think just in, in today's day and world, it's really smart. All right. Next one, Tim, for you from Wagner 07. Any equipment changes after week one? I'm assuming he means after last week. Um, there's always the chance of an equipment change, right? Yeah, Phil, Phil is obviously very analytical, very cer cerebral. He's always thinking of what he can do to possibly have an edge. And so lots of times that is, that's as simple as whether or not we're switching out the two iron for a five wood or do we need a three wood or there have been occasions that we've even taken out like a five iron because we just did not see a need for a five iron, which allowed us to put in a five wood and a two iron. So we're all, I mean, week to week, we are always thinking about those things. I don't anticipate any major changes over the next few weeks. I think we're pretty pleased with the equipment we have right now. Yeah, this time of year, right? You kind of want to be in the groove and, and just do course specific things like a two iron and, and kind of a five wood? Correct. 
correct. Yeah, and Hartford, Hartford, so, you know, this time of year at Hartford, I mean, it's going to be, uh, you know, hopefully have a little bit of heat up there and, and the ball will be carrying too. That's a fun golf course. It's, that, that's going to be one of the weird ones without fans. Uh, like Colonial was strange without fans, but there were those, those areas around the golf course on the weekend at least where, where people came up to the fence and you had a little bit of an atmosphere. But, but Hartford, uh, you know, there's, there's all those houses on it and everything. Hopefully we'll get a little bit of atmosphere there. I mean, this week in Hilton Head, I'm assuming there'll be people on the water on 18, so they'll have a little bit of a crowd there. Yeah, I would, I would imagine people be there on the water, and, and I would even think at Hartford there's going to be people because of the homes on some of those holes in the back nine, there'll be people in their backyards. And I thought it was really cool at yeah. Colonial, those, those three different areas that had yeah. set up their own little stand. Uh, I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. And uh, it was funny after the tournament seeing all the players who had acknowledged crowds that weren't there, yeah. including Phil, including Phil giving the little yeah. tap, yeah. you know, the cap. But um, it, it wasn't as weird of a feeling as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. playing without fans obviously you, you'd like to be able to feed off of their their mojo when you make a birdie and you're getting cheered on but it didn't feel as awkward as i as i thought it was going to yeah no for sure all right uh tina i'll let you answer this one from amy smith if you can say how was phil celebrating his big birthday today tim and i talked about this because we're so protective of, of yeah. phil and everything He's just with family uh, right he, yeah, he, yeah. yeah, it's nothing, you know, it's interesting. It's really not a big hoopla just because he's 50. Obviously he and Amy are going to be spending some time together. And then we have a, a extended family celebration this weekend. So it'll nice. be nice to spend some time, do some reminiscing. Um, but that's a, that's a really good question because a lot of people assume that people like Phil do things um, in a way that the rest of us don't. And what he really likes is just the simple, the easy, the quiet, calm type of time together with people instead of out celebrating big time. Now, I'm not saying that's not happening. It's just not happening today. Yeah, and exactly. And, you know, the way I kind of look at it is if, if he had a party with like 100 people or something together or something like that, that'd be like another day of work for him. You know, be like almost like like a corporate outing or something like just let him have some time with his family. And I love the idea of the extended family. All right, Tim, Edward Toledano wants to know, uh, what do you guys chat about on the golf course other than golf? It is a range of everything. We will talk stock market. We will talk nutrition. What's he doing? Is he, you know, is he fasting? Am I fasting? We'll talk, um, you know, back when I was single, I would talk about relationships and how I'd like to get into one. And now I'm lucky enough to be in one. And so the little things that go on with that. And I can put it this way. When we're not over a shot, specifically talking about our next shot, we are talking anything but golf you have to let their minds wander and get away from, you know, exactly why we're out there for five hours. We can't focus for five straight hours. We can do it for 45, 50 seconds at a time. So past that, come up with some jokes, talk about stocks, whatever, you know, whatever you got to. Yeah. That's what I love about uh, the idea of microphones on, on the tour a little bit. And um, I don't, think necessarily players need to wear them live. I think there's another way to do it, uh, which we gave, we gave an opinion in the Henrik podcast, but like, that's the type of stuff that to me should stay between the player and the caddy. But the stuff that I want to hear 
is is and we heard it from you in the first match when you were with your brother is is the process you go through of looking at a shot whether it's what's to cover this whether where's the swale on the green because i just literally sit there and trust me my golf doesn't deserve anything more than this i try to figure out how far i am from the hole and then grab a club that approximately will get me near that hole and hit it yeah. and most of the time it doesn't work out for me but but at least you know that's my plan but for for the tour it's so different right there's so many different factors that that you're looking at that some of the the Yeah. Oh, he froze on me. Me too. Jeff, you froze on us. Should I just start talking, Gina? So anyway, Tim. <laughs> so I, until he gets back, Tina, I do think that if there was a way for the tour to actually have conversations like Mike's just over the shots I think it's a home run but I think part of the issue is, is knowing that you have a mic and you're walking in between shots and the other the other things you might be thinking about that should remain private so how do you make sure that when you are wearing a mic it is it is held to just you know those 30 45 seconds when the player and caddy are, are conversing that's the thing because it's the last thing you want to worry about when you're out there working is turning on the mic, turning off the mic, what you're saying in between. So if there is a, a way to logistically do that, I, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. But um, how do you kind of implement that, I guess? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the, the issue we'll have with, with uh, you know, finding players to do it. And now we'd like to go ahead and reintroduce Jeff Newbarth. Yeah, how about that? I'd like to join Who's us. Back? I, I guess I guess I just wanted to have you guys have your own conversation. This is why you always have two devices when you're doing these things. So when device one dies, because the other one is completely dead right now, thanks laptop, uh, we'll just go to the iPad. So um, no, but uh, I, I, you're right. The, the whole mic thing is going to be so interesting over the next couple of weeks mm -hmm. as people kind of try to figure out what they want to hear. I just want to hear this stuff when you talk about a shot. That, that to me is the most interesting stuff. And that's basically exactly what, what we were talking about is if they can make it so it's just the time that we're talking about the shots that the mics are live, I think it's a, you know, I, I think it's great. But if it's when players are walking from shot to shot or the players that aren't wearing the mics, if their conversations are being, uh, you know, carried over into the mic too. So they'll get it figured out. And, and those that want to do it, will do it. And those who don't, you know, there's no obligation to. Yeah. And I thought it was cool. Um, just even without players wearing mics that with no, with no crowd out there, um, that you could certainly hear a lot more than, than you could. And that's always the thing with the Fox broadcast, um, you know, with the cup mics and stuff like that, you know, you just hear so many interesting things. Like I want to hear, uh, I want to hear Phil does, you know, make a putt or miss a putt and, and whether it's the read, whether it's the speed, I want to hear what he thinks more than I want to hear someone up on a tower saying, you know, Oh, he misread that. Well, maybe he didn't misread it. Maybe he actually read it perfectly and just pushed it. And it's just so much better to hear that from the, uh, from the players. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, well, we're just going to keep you guys a couple more minutes okay. um, because, you know, this is, this is a day we should all be celebrating. I think we should all drink coffee and uh, I'm going to go to the range and try to hit bombs later as uh, maybe I'll even try to hit a lefty bomb. See how that works out for me. But um, Tim, just uh, kind of a final thought, a couple things we didn't really get a chance to cover just some of the charitable work uh, that your brother and Amy kind of do together. Um, but just in kind of a serious note, just, um, I guess maybe a birthday wish or uh, I know you did a text, so that was really cool, but maybe it was a chance to have uh, a podcast that lives forever with a uh, recorded birthday message. 
Well, obviously, I, I would love to wish my big brother a happy 50th birthday. He is a great brother, great father, great boss. Um, I'm, I'm blessed to have him as a big brother to, to look up to. And um, I can't wait to get, get started again uh, back on tour. But if I have another second, Jeff, I mean, you had mentioned it, the Phil and Amy Mickelson Foundation. Yeah. You know, they do a ton of philanthropy and, and, and charitable things that lots of times go – I don't want to say undetected, but without any, any media presence, without even mentioning, I think those things is that he does, he made me do it genuinely because they want to, um, because it's the right thing to do. And they're not doing things because of the, the um, notoriety they might get or the presence they might get in an article, something like that. And um, you know, there's, there's so many different stories that have been told, but, I love the ones with kids that are selling lemonade and Phil will go buy one and it's a dollar and he'll flip, you know, slip him a hundred dollar bill and take off, you know, things like that I think are, are really, really cool. Yeah. I've heard so many of those stories and it's just pretty amazing to, uh, to be able to do that. All right. I got a couple more quick questions here and then I'll get your uh, wish here. Uh, Tina, let's see. Uh, Tim, what irons does Phil play with? Well, that's a complicated answer because there's more than one set he has in the bag. So it does change on occasion, but we, we have both the, we have some of the forged, Epic forged, um, Epic pros. So we have a mixed um, bag right now. So obviously the longer the iron, the tougher it is to hit. So we want a little bit more forgiveness. And then obviously the shorter the irons, more of the scoring clubs. Um, so that's where we have it obviously is wedges. One of his wedges actually has his formula stamped into it now, which is, pretty funny yeah well that helps because that that's that he plays that big high toe wedge so there's plenty of room to stamp it um tina who would win uh if shots were given who would win the net division between you tim and phil if we could get you all to compete on the golf course net division well it depends what what numbers we're able to negotiate on the first tee net i think if you are accurate with your handicap I think we're all pretty even starting on the first tee it, it depends how much coffee Bill has probably had that day it depends on a lot of factors um of course if you're going to ask me that question and I have to answer it of course I'm <laughs> going to say me I mean come on so I would say I would and I've been practicing a little bit more lately I've been having I've had a little bit more time to do what I want to do and um, practicing has been part of it. So maybe Tim, maybe we need to get out there and uh, get Phil out there and maybe we need to find out. I, mean, I, I think Tina would probably have the edge, but I would say Phil is such a good negotiator on the first tee that he would certainly do his best to sway things in his favor. All right. Well, how about, how about, how about at the next ad shoot that we do, we do a little three hole net challenge. We figure out how many strokes per hole, where the tees have to be, uh, and we record this, and then we, we just edit it so that you guys win and Phil comes in last. I'm in. I like it. I have okay. no problem with that. Okay, well, we'll try to get that done. Uh, Tina, I'll give you the last word. Anything you wanna say kind of on, on your brother's birthday to kind of bring this to a close? Just how proud I am of, of him and, and Amy for everything that they do for 
others and how much they care about other people. But on Phil's birthday, I want to say I'm just, I'm so lucky to have you for a brother and here's to 50 more years of lots of fun and laughter and excitement and happy birthday. All right. Well, well said. Thank you guys so much for, for taking some time out of your day to join us and to give all the fans of Callaway a chance to uh, get to know Phil a little bit better and uh, get to know you guys a little bit better too, which is always a good thing. Uh, Tuesday on the podcast, um, we kind of messed up because Father's Day is this Sunday, but because of travel schedules and other stuff, we're going to do our Father's Day show on Tuesday. We got Hallie and David Ledbetter coming on. Um, so we're, we're going to, uh, they've been playing a lot of golf together down in, uh, in COVID times down in, uh, in Florida. So, uh, I'm assuming Hallie will say that David's completely messing up her game, but Hallie played college golf at Rollins. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and, uh, kind of get some thoughts on what's going on at, uh, Harbor town. And, uh, hopefully Xander, uh, my, my pick is Xander's going to take it home this weekend. He played so well last week, got absolutely robbed by the uh, 17th hole, which is the, that's the worst hole in golf. The actual cup itself, like that cup should just be thrown out. No one should ever use that because it spits out balls. No one likes that. Um, but thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tina, so much for joining us. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week on Tuesday on the Callaway Golf Podcast.